Welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. This is a really special conversation with the amazing Susanna Bodka. Susanna is a professor of human-computer interaction at Aarhus University in Denmark. I was really glad to be able to get some face-to-face time with her when she recently visited Vienna to give an invited lecture for the Austrian Academy of Sciences on the 21st of September 23. And I wanted to release this conversation now to mark her transition to post-university life at the end of September. In this conversation, she reflects on her 40 years at Aarhus, touching on a range of issues, including her own career path and choices, the value of mobility, changes she's seen over time, hiring practices, creating collegial culture, being active in university politics, transitioning to retirement, being a single parent, among many other issues. What I think, though, that you'll hear across all of these is a really strongly held and enacted set of values around participation, around giving voice to people, and around holding human connections as important. And that's whether she's talking about work colleagues or family or friends. And Susanna is one of the most respected and impactful human-computer interaction researchers. And yet you'll also hear her humility. I think that's pretty special. So thank you, Susanna, for a career well served and that will hopefully continue in some ways as you explore your new opportunities in this new phase. And to you, the listener, enjoy this conversation. Susanna, thank you very much for joining me. And do you want to just introduce yourself? I can do that. I am Susanna Budka. I worked in the computer science department at Aarhus University for 40 years. And um, I'm doing research in human-computer interaction. And I think I've basically done that since before there was anything much called human-computer interaction. So in that sense, I've been part of that journey over the years, and that's what I've done. I've been Mm. teaching, I've been doing research, and also, as it happens, quite a lot of sort of university politics and stuff like that. I guess I tend to involve myself in Uh things when I get a chance. Which fits in a way with your participatory uh, theme that, that really runs as a red thread through all of your research. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. So I think it's, it is in a way a two-way thing, right? That, that if you want other people to engage, then you probably should or yeah, should also engage in, in the world around you, mm. basically. Yeah. Did you do your undergraduate degree at Aarhus as well? I, I did, yes. Yeah, I, so I started at, at Aarhus University uh, from 1975 I mean, it was in the days when you actually also had a job when you were doing your PhD, of course, which is a lot different, I think, from most places and also from mm. the way it is in Aarhus now. But yeah, so I've been teaching and doing those kinds of things all the time, basically. Yeah. So was it computer science then? Yes. It, so it wasn't just mathematics? It, it was... Uh, I, I formally have a degree in mathematics because the uh, computer science degree was only a specialization of mathematics back in the days. And I think I, I honestly started um, started studying because I thought I wanted to do high school mathematics. And then I found out really soon after that, that, you know, actually I wasn't very good at mathematics. And, and uh, so, 
So the other thing was then the choices you would have for sort of secondary topics in those days with sort of physics and statistics and, and computer science. And so I ended up doing this thing that could be statistics or computer science just because I didn't want to do physics, basically. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so I realized that, that, you know, it was an interesting field. It was an upcoming field. It was also, because it was so new, it was kind of a good place to be. The, you know, a lot of uh, social activities also with the, with the teachers and mm. the students and so mm. on. So, so in, in that sense, I decided the mathematics was not my thing, and then, but, but the, um, how can you say, because of the construction of what, what you could and couldn't do, I, I mean, I'd always almost finished my minor in mathematics before I realized, so mm -hmm. I carried on with that, even though I was considering some other topics. Actually, I, I, I was thinking maybe archaeology at the time. But, but I never got to it because then, you know, <laughs> I spent the credits needed to be a mathematician or at least a, a minor in mathematics and that was, that was basically mm. it. Yeah. So you must have been really radical then to be doing from the very beginning all of the perspectives that you've taken in your research around a focus on people and the interface and drawing on things like activity theory mm -hmm. from Russian psychology traditions and that must, was that very different or within the Danish tradition was it not so different? Because I'm just thinking yeah, back yeah, to that yeah. sort of day in computer science when it was much more mathematical and engineering focused. It was, but I would say we did in Aarhus at the time have people who did those kind of things right. and so Morten Kuhn, for instance, but also Kristen Nygaard, who was visiting on and off, coming down from Oslo and working with these uh, different kinds of projects, both with labor unions, but also just thinking differently about mm. what programming would mm. be, how you would involve people in, in some of those things. And, and I think, so I don't think it was like, it didn't feel very radical in that yeah. in that sense. I think I I got into this whole business of activity theory basically because we were we were doing a study group with a psychologist at, at AU a, around an early version of the Winnebred and Flores book. So this must have been 1983-ish or something. So at that time, psychology in Aarhus had a very big group of theoretical thinkers who were inspired by, by activity theory. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, some of them are still uh, active and, and still working in that field. So I, I don't know, I'm not sure. I, I mean, again, of course, I spent quite a lot of time understanding it and working with it in, in my PhD. But I didn't, I mean, it, it wasn't like looking it up somewhere. It came yeah. kind of natural out of this uh, discussions we had yeah. about the Winograd and Flores and, and the Dreyfus and Dreyfus book so you, later on. But You could but make the, the connections and yeah. see how it was applicable. Yeah. And I, I still remember there was a master thesis student in psychology who had done some of this taking activity into uh, account and he was talking about it. It's not an interface, it's an interspace I remember that he said, and I think, you know, things like that, I mean, he, he, he didn't take it very far in the first mm. place at all. Mm. He also took a very long time to finish his master thesis, but, but it was those kind of things that, that kind of made me think that it could be possible to find other theoretical foundations than yeah. the GOMS model and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it fascinating how, I don't know, like the opportunities that we have or the, the ways our thinking is shaped, the ways our opportunities are shaped just by things like Morton Kuhn being there, this, having psychologists there that you had access to who opened up this particular way of thinking. Yeah, no, I think and that it's true. I mean, there's a lot of sort of circumstance yeah, in this. There is, isn't and, there? Uh, so, so in a sense, it's not, I mean, of course, I, 
I mean, I did it. Mm. It's not like that, right? But mm. but I don't th sort of think of it as something that was very out of the ordinary yeah. or very extreme in any yeah. sort of way. I think I did other things as part of my PhD that maybe was a little bit like extraordinary. So I, I decided to write a book, right? I decided that this couldn't be sort of done as a series of, of, of papers, of articles, uh, basically because it would take too much effort to, to sort of establish the framework mm. for, for each of the papers. Mm. I mean, not that I didn't write papers during my PhD, but, but I think that was pretty much the reason why I, I, I thought a monography was kind of the thing to do, even though that was a bit extraordinary. I think it was also not easy. <laughs> and, and it took a lot more effort than I would re recommend any of my PhD students to do today. But I think there are also many other ways in which the situation was different in yeah. those days, right? So there wasn't quite the time pressure, at least that we have on the PhD students yeah. in Aarhus now yeah. there. Yeah. But what you said about the reason why you chose the monograph as the model, yeah. is what I think makes it really good for a PhD thesis because, I don't know, I, I clearly I'm biased against cumulative theses <laughs> because I think that they miss the opportunity to do that deeper thinking yeah. and reflection and sort of really laying out that positioning mm. and the theoretical grounding of the work or really drawing out the implications or the, the threads across lots of work that might be distributed across papers. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, it definitely has merits, yeah. right? So I don't have regrets that I did it, but I think I had this... I mean, of course, it also ended up being a book that got published and so on, yeah. which wasn't the intent in the first place. But And it took a lot of work to, to finish that, and I think I promised myself I would never do a book <laughs> again. And how many uh, have you done since? <laughs> uh, not that many, but I have done others. <laughs> and then you go, what was I thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, but it has been a very influential book. Yes, oh it? yeah. Like yeah. really, yeah. really influential. And I still meet people who read it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's that's obviously quite nice. That must be rewarding. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of what we do is also still building on that foundation, right? And and so, in that sense, it it was also. I mean, I found myself as as uh, well, you know, and and we talked about. So I had for the past five years, this ERC grant about mm -hmm. common interactive mm -hmm. objects. And I mean, I found myself when I was writing that proposal, basically going back to a lot of these things and thinking, well, you know, it wasn't really bad what we suggested sort of way back when. So actually writing the proposal and doing it, you know, it, it, sometimes it's felt as if there's not so much new in it, but I think it there is. I mean, I obviously think we moved it to places yeah. that it wasn't before, and there's much more coherence and so on. But I think many of the ideas were actually, like having a long trail back back from my thesis work and, and to some of the work after and so on. So I find that quite interesting. Yeah, in yeah. Giovanni, in the writing of the proposal that you actually reflected on the fact that it was the same, or yeah. had you always been more conscious of that being the grounding work from your thesis that was a strong red thread? No, I don't think I realised, like all the time, and yeah. thought about that yeah. this was... It was, obviously was not like an agenda that I pushed, that yeah. I would stay with it or anything like that. And it was more that, you know, when you started thinking about various elements of what you wanted to be there, you realized that, you know, hey, I've written mm. about some of this mm. in the past, in the thesis or, after, you know, after the thesis mm. in various forms. So I think that it's just interesting. Mm. It is really interesting. It's a lovely book ending yeah. of the career, which we'll come yeah. to in a, in a tick. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about the 40 years at Aarhus and how that came about, you know, how you reflect back on staying in the one place. Yeah. What, what values or trade-offs did you make to choose that? Um, yeah. In a way, 
You know, I think it's a really good question and quite obviously I have considered moving, I mean, several times along the way. I think a lot of the reason why I ended up staying was in a way more personal issues, right? I'm not saying I wouldn't have been happy elsewhere and so on, but there were various hiccups along the way and at the end, I, I mean, I, I, I like it where I am and I kind of like uh, the way, you know, my social life and all of those mm. things. And, you know, I, I've got, I got offered various jobs along the way. I, I don't know. I, I think you always have all these concerns, right? I remember thinking about moving to the UK with a teenage son who first thought that, that well, you know, he could become a Manchester United fan. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, at the end it wasn't the thing. And, and I also remember thinking earlier about commuting to different a different university in Denmark or moving, which mm. I didn't really want to do at the time. And, um, yeah, so it's not... Again, I don't see, I mean, that that hasn't been like a big plan for me that I would stay mm, in Aarhus yeah. all this time. I don't think it's something that I've thought about a lot, yeah. like the past maybe 20 years, yeah. <laughs> but, but obviously along the way it has been mm. a thing. And I mean, I did, I've always enjoyed doing these sort of shorter sabbaticals mm. or, stays about yeah. and so I've been to various places. I mean, I also was away for a year after my master's thesis graduation before I started working in the university. So I did spend quite a lot of time in California then mm. at, at Xerox Park. And, yeah. um, but that would have been good days at Xerox It was. Park. I'm not sure I understood how good days it was. Yeah. You know, I mean, I kind of think afterwards, of course, it was you know, the chance of a lifetime, and then I enjoyed it there. But I think, yeah, I'm not sure, you know, you don't quite know what you're getting yourself into. Right? Yeah. 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 But I, I mean, I've spent time also in Stockholm and in, in Paris, and, mm -hmm. and so, so I've always enjoyed, like, going places and spending a bit more time than just a short visit yeah. like now. Um, and I think that that has also kept me going, that, that you know, I had the chance of doing those things mm. along the way. Yeah. So you still had the opportunity to, to network, build those relationships and travel. Yeah. But it sounds like also that family and community yeah, know, were, were also important priorities and, yeah. and staying has enabled them to take precedence in yeah. some way. Yeah. There's no doubt that this that's true and mm. I made choices based on that. Mm. I mean, Aarhus University has also been a good good employer mm. for me in various ways, right? I did have a career. I, they did offer me also career moves. Not, I mean, probably nobody mm. has like just gotten like to be a full professor <laughs> exactly at the moment when they think they're ready for it and, and so on. But I think you know, with a bit of uh, sort of work and pushing and, mm. and, and so on, it uh, I did and, and I mean, it's been a good place to be like that. Actually, I think it's a very good department uh, overall and yeah. we have a lot of fun together. There's always been a good social life in the department and for many years we've been, yeah, you know, very sort of aligned in what we want mm. to do and so on. And a lot of respect for all sorts of computer science to, to come back to maybe also what, you know, yeah. some of your questions. So, I mean, I don't think it was easy in the early years to establish the kind of HCI and the kind of computer science that, that we wanted to do in the department. But I think that that's sort of a thing of the past, and it was also, you know, partly a thing of the people who were there at the time. And you know, it's just it's mm. different now. Mm. And 
there's a strong recognition that we do our part and you know we're as strong researchers as anybody else and, and I mean things like getting an ESC advance grant is obviously you know it helps right I mean the department as such is very strong in that field and, and I mean we, we had over a short period of time uh, three ESE advance grants and you know that's I think that's not actually very common yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, I mean I think INREA has more right but other, otherwise if you look at computer science departments it's not that common yeah. to have that many so I think in that sense we're, we're, we're sort of we're good because yeah. we know we're doing well and it's a lot easier when you know that. that yes, <laughs> yes, you have some of that external validation of, of yeah. it being okay. Many people I talk to are challenged with the thing of their research area not being as respected in more mainstream computer science departments. And it sounds like your department has done a really good job and from early days. So you talked about things like the good social atmosphere, you know, social socialization and the respect for one another and and also aligned. Can you say some more about that? Like how does that all play out practically that you were able to build this from the beginning and more importantly I think sustain it and build it? Because yeah. you must have had lots of people come and go over the time. So there must yes. be some core something core about the culture there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think First of all, that the people who are sort of the early generation of the computer science department that I'm really too young to belong with in a mm. way, they were quite social and quite good with each other like that. And so they, they, you know, they were just very good at making sure that, that there was a social mm. life in the department. And was that like we, Friday afternoon drinks or yeah. going out bowling or like what yeah. sort of summer parties, Christmas mm. parties and stuff like that. And we still do that. We also do things like going on retreats together, all, all of the senior staff in yeah. the department. And I think obviously it has a, I mean, it's often about things and changing the, I don't know, the curriculum, yeah. what have yeah. you. It has, there has to be an agenda. But I think the social part is also recognized by all as an important part that, of, of going yeah. and doing these things. So the relationship building. Yeah. So would you do those retreats once a year? Yes, or? mostly. I mean, COVID has, of course, yeah, as with many yes, things, changed that a little yeah. bit. But, but yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we normally go places where we also... Uh, for many years, we had a head of department who was very much into... Uh, running and orienteering and stuff and I think you know it's always been part of it to like go on walks or do other kinds of activities mm. and not just sitting in a meeting room and do formal business. Yeah. Uh, so I think that you know there are many many ways that this has been been handed over mm. and, and uh, yeah I don't know I mean. Do you have a common room? That everyone goes to. For we're not very. Tea we're not very good with that, to okay. be honest. Yeah. yeah. So it is more the sort of special events and. Yeah. And yeah. We have a monthly staff meeting, uh, but but I don't. I mean, I wouldn't say that that's a particularly well sort of yeah. functioning thing. Yeah. It's difficult to just even find a room that's suitable for for those kind of things. So, so anyway, so I think that. Mm. It's not unproblematic to mm. say. Are there any other things that the department has done over the years that you think has really contributed to this? It sounds like a very collegial sort of culture. Respectful. Yeah, I think it's... I don't know, the, the social thing is kind of one thing, but mm. I think we have realised over the years that people are generally good researchers and performing well and and so on. And I think, you know, even though you may not always like the idea that, that you know, there's benchmarking and there's this and that, you know, I think there's, it's part of the respect that people have for each other that, that you know that mm. your colleagues are mm. all doing well. And, mm. and I mean, it also means that we're very sort of picky about who we hire. And I think sometimes mm. that's it's a challenge. Also, I mean, it's a, you know, it's sometimes the case that there are people that 
you know, you really love to hire in various mm. ways that we end up not hiring because they haven't the merits that, that we need. And it's an interesting sort of... Uh, the academic merits. Yeah. So that, so you're looking at both the personal qualities and, and that sort uh, of fit yeah. and the academic. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah. And in, it also means that we spend quite a lot of time when we're hiring people, to be honest, mm. you know. It, it requires a lot of energy. Yeah, from. I was just going to ask you how you do that because I think hiring is really challenging and especially these days as more and more institutions are, are moving into some of the models where we're not relying on quantitative measures so much but allowing people to tell more yeah. qualitative, contextualised stories yeah. of their research and yeah. how do we assess assess people had both from a work point of view and from a fit yeah i know i think i don't have an easy answer yeah. to that uh, quite some years ago we decided that we are always bringing i mean the people we're shortlisting or sort of uh, who who we think are relevant obviously mm. we do get a lot of applicants that we don't consider like that but we, we bring them over and they get to spend time with us and we do interviews and they give talks. We, you know, they get a chance to go meet all the mm. research groups and not just the group that we think they should belong with. And so we actually spend quite a lot of energy on people we mm. get for job interviews. So I think we do get a fairly good impression also of you know, how interested they are in the department, mm. how mm -hmm. keen they are to join, yeah. basically. Yeah. And, um, and, and of course, on top of that, we're concerned with, you know, the academic merits and can they attract funding and what have you that we also need mm. to concern ourselves with. But I think it works, but the thing is, it's a lot of effort for whoever gets to be on the hiring committee for these particular rounds. And it can be a bit challenging at times, I would say. Also because, you know, my general feeling is that every time we make four offers to people, we're probably getting one. Mm. And yeah. of course it's a sign that, that that the people we try to hire are very competitive also, but or yeah, but also of other things. So it's a lot of work. Mm. But I think it pays off. I think we had a few experiences like maybe, I don't know, ten years ago of hiring people that we thought really didn't fit and we don't want that basically. Mm. So the effort is worth it for getting yeah. better fits. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and the fit matters. It does. It does. I'm not expecting you to have an answer. I often wonder about um, the performative aspects of these job interviews mm -hmm. and you know that when you are going around and meeting lots of people and you know, standing up giving a talk and fronting the interview and I'm thinking of the panels I've been on and that some people are very very good at presenting themselves and doing that whether they're sort of more extroverts or if you believe in those sorts of spectrums or whatever but um, and then there are other people who find these sort of social interactions a little bit more challenging and need more time to build relationships and I wonder whether we miss out on some good people and some good fits because of um, the necessary pressures of the time. Yeah. 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 I think that it's very likely. I think somehow I would say maybe it's very Danish in a way to not be terribly impressed by these. I mean, there's a certain also, for instance, a very American style of how you're selling yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think we, I'm not saying we're not hiring people like that, but I think some, some of it is also seeing in a way behind that. Yeah. And um, and I also, I mean, we also do give people a chance to meet with research groups and the research committee and so on in smaller groups and, mm. and over a couple of days, right? So they do, I don't know, I, I don't think we've often like had people who are really just not, not performing socially yeah, like yeah. that. 
Yeah, and a couple of days does give you time just to sort of yes. settle into yeah. it yeah. versus yeah. an intense and often hour. And a lot of these people do know somebody in the department already yeah. and yeah. they get sort of taken out for dinner and yeah. stuff. And yeah. I think it's all part of making feel people feel comfortable yeah. also. Um, thinking about people applying for jobs and that, and yeah. you've been at Aarhus for 40 years, how do you talk to your students now about issues of mobility and yeah. whatever? And also looking, when you're looking at people who are applying for jobs, you know, like how do those sorts of factors play in? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because somehow the way things are, for instance, with funding, at least in Denmark, I think it's probably true other places as well. Uh, mobility is important, right? You do need to show that you've been able to work in different mm. places and do different things. And I think that is on and off a challenge for our local talents. And, and again, it gets a little bit back to the sort of work-life yeah. situation, yeah. right? So. So I think there's a certain way in which you have to play the game of, of doing this. So you have to go abroad as a postdoc or something. But I do find it slightly ironic at times that it's kind of easier to hire somebody who comes from elsewhere than, than one of your own students, right? And, and I think that's... It's sad, and it's definitely something we also we're thinking about. Mm. And again, we try to not have sort of too formalistic and too strict ways of thinking about this. But I do think it is kind of um, hurting the people who we take in as PhD mm. students and who we have staying for a while. And uh, so, so. You basically need to have the conversation with people about, mm. you know, going away for a while and then maybe coming back and so on. And yeah, so I think uh, it needs to be articulated and talked about. There are interesting tensions and trade-offs because you said about we often think that someone from outside is is more attractive or, you know, than someone that we know better and. That's just a common thing. One of our biases, unconscious biases, I think. Yeah. So there's that side of it, and can we be less, you know, biased in that way? Yeah. And be more open. You know, what if we imagine this person as coming from outside? How would we think of yeah. them? Yeah. And also, just for people themselves, I I really think it's important that people have the right to choose to stay living somewhere because that's where their family is, or that's where they have other commitments, or that's where a partner has commitments, and not to be penalised in in our processes. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's absolutely correct. I think at the same time, though, mm. I I do think you learn from yep. being in different places, yes. right? I don't think. I mean, work professionally, academically, it's not a good idea to just stay in the same yeah. place, right? So it's not only because the research councils and others think that it's a good idea to mm. to, to to move, but I I think there's something about shifting perspective and and also I think maturing and growing up as a as a person as mm. a researcher where you help when you're going yes. places, yeah. right. And so, even just seeing different ways of doing things. Yes, exactly. And ways of doing things both in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you work in the research group? How mm. do you manage? How do you, like in Aarhus, we, for instance, have, we, we generally have bigger groups. We don't have this German system of one professor and one group, right? But, but I think it obviously has, I mean, we like it, that's why we have it, but surely you can also learn from being in a different kind of context. For instance, one of the things you can learn or think about is different ways of organizing the research groups, different ways of thinking about how you want to grow your research group, uh, different, I mean, 
And you and I had these high early career symposia. And I think, for instance, you know, thinking about whether you want to be the uh, first and one and only HCI person in a uh, computer science department somewhere in Texas, not mm. not to pick on yeah. that particularly, right? Or you want to go and join a place where there are, there's already a bigger group of people. I think it's one of these things that you can reflect on, but that, that you may need to see a Yes, a few different different options, different options yeah. to really find out what what's going on, right? Yeah. And uh, so, so in that sense, I think it is a good idea that people yes go places. Yeah. Then I think it's also important, as you're saying, to be flexible about what that mm. means. Right? And you're a good example of delivering on that, going to different places in a different model than someone else who might have actually had employed yeah. positions yeah. in different yeah. places. Yeah. yeah. But I think in a way you can also say, you know, I'm too old to... The, a lot of the measures that people are measured with today didn't really apply when mm. I was young. I think mm. I often feel that this is the case. Maybe I would never have, you know, have made it, or or you know maybe maybe my life would have mm. been different if, if if some of these measures were in place when I was young. I don't know. I mean, it's of course pure speculation, mm. but I do think we also lose some people just with this thing that we push them out and we uh, send them off. But of course, it also has to do with. In the whole financial situation of the universities, for instance, the fact that we are very relying on external funding, right? We can't, we being at least the, the computer science department, it always can't, you know, have people. We can have a few, but we generally cannot have people who are not getting funding in and who are not doing those kind of things yeah. because. We are also measured and counted in so many ways, like both by the university and also by mm. you know, the government, society yeah. at large, that yeah. we can't just ignore these things, right? I think we can make exceptions. But I think the other thing is obviously how you, how you do talk about that internally in the department if you choose to hire somebody who is not in a way, at, at sort of the usual level in one way or mm. another, which I think can be difficult, mm. uh, even though you maybe you can make any number of reasons why why you've done this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the complex environments, universities, so many different competing constraints, and, yes. and just the basic fact of limited resources. Yes, yes. But when you look back, you know, you talked about the, the metrics that weren't in place then that are more what people measured by now. What are some of the big changes that you think you've seen and how do you reflect on them as in are they heading in a good direction or not? Yeah, I do think that this whole business of, I mean, you can say Google Scholar, but, but it's not, of course, it's not just Google Scholar, it's also Web of Science and mm. all of those things that are you know, it kind of changed the way we can all look at colleagues or competitors or whatever they are, right? And see what they've done, how they, they're performing and so on, and find out also maybe in a way, what are the levels that you're talking about, right? Mm. And... Uh, yeah, because they it, didn't it exist, did no, they? In the, no, in the... and I think in a way, you know, it can be... Okay, and and as I was saying, I think for my department, maybe it was also, in a way, a a kind of a relief to see that people were actually performing quite well. Then mm. I, you know, it's rather obvious that even within computer science or within anything, I think even within HCI, there's a lot of difference. You know, these measures are are not absolute, right? So even things like people's age index differs quite a lot across, for instance, the field of computer science, mm. right? There are areas where you got very many citations, very, you know, many authors in some cases, but also just many papers, and then there are others 
where this is not the case. So you can't, underst you can't understand this without looking more specifically, mm. comparing more specifically with other people. But I think they, they, it has created a change uh, that, that this is a possibility to, for everybody to, to look at and be aware of. And I think it's, you know, it's for good and for bad. Mm. Uh, yeah. it's, it's good enough because it kind of articulates some of the ways in which you are measured, no matter, no matter what, in a way, mm. right? But quite obviously, if you're not looking also on the quality of what people are doing and what other stuff they are also doing, right, then, then it's not worth a whole lot, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I know that that is a really interesting challenge, you know, mm. the, the plus and minus. Yeah. You, you also said that you, at the beginning, you talked about being involved in teaching and research and that, and also you mentioned university politics mm. and mm. that you always tend to get involved. What, what sort of roles were you involved in in politics and how have you been able to shape mm. your university I mean, I through would, that? Yes. First of all, I think what I've done most sort of explicitly that is university politics yeah. is that I was on the Aarhus University Board of Directors for eight years which is the sort of length that you can mm. be as uh, representing the academic staff. I think with that as with you know even if you become a member of your, the board of your child's daycare or whatever. You know, it gives a certain insight when you get to see the budgeting, the, mm -hmm. the deliberations and so on. So I think I, I find it interesting because, because it is a way of understanding it a lot better, all these constraints and what's happening and so on. So I enjoyed it a lot. And other than that, you know, I been I can I can almost not remember but I had uh, many years on the sort of uh, teaching committees mm, of the department yes, and yep. so on but it's it's really in the past I haven't done that for maybe the past 20 years mm. and uh, I liked it but then again I think I did like at least four reforms of our curriculum and it takes a lot of work every time so so I'm also happy that I, I'm not doing that anymore. Giving <laughs> other people the opportunity. Yes, to you, can, you can say that. <laughs> yes, and I mean, I've been involved with the sort of department. Ma management may not be the right word, right? Mm. But but sort of leadership over the years, mm. with we have a, for many years been organised with this research committee, which is basically eight or ten professors of the department. I've done that over many years and sometimes we've also like had to do formal management because for reasons all of a sudden say we, we didn't have a head of department for a while, stuff like that. But mostly it's been more in a sort of advisory mm. role. Mm. And so I mean clearly with the teaching there's a focus to the action and the reforms of the curriculum. With the board or the the research committee and leadership there within the department, are there ways that you've been able to have real impact do you think and, and what particularly have you brought to it? Yeah I think there's both both at the local and also at the university level quite obviously some strategic discussions that are happening that mm. are more important at certain times than others. And, and I mean, when I started on the AU board, it was right after there had been a major sort of university reform in Denmark where a lot of these smaller university university units had been fusioned into the big university. So we did spend a lot of energy finding out how you would really integrate those outlier mm. places in the university and make them real university units. It was not something that only happened in, on the board, but we did spend time on it. Yeah. What else? 
yeah so so i think yeah there has been these sort of strategic discussions yeah. that that we that are of the time, depending yeah. on what's happening. Yeah. And do you see ways in which, I don't know, some of the same core values that have underpinned your research or some of the methodological approaches that in your research have informed your participation at these yeah, political Yeah, I, I, I mean, I do. I, I, I found it important that I represent the academic staff, mm-hmm. right? So I, I spent time discussing with people and who those people were. You know, I've always said I talk to people who want to talk to me. So I think that's kind of one element of it. And, uh, but, but I've also tried to, you know, get to talk to the people, say in the departments where there were major changes happening that we would have to relate to. Now, obviously, a board is kind of an arm's length kind of thing with the management of the mm. university, right? So the board doesn't do management, it's somebody else who does it. So if I think about what, what, I, what I was trying to do has been to, to articulate to the board what were the sort of the challenges on the floor in mm-hmm. various ways, right? So, so I don't think a user-centered, user-centered perspective of the university. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, what are people really doing? What's concerning people in their everyday life? Whether it's something with the teaching and the resources or something, I, I, I think that that has been important to mm. bring up because, you know, say the head of the board, you know, he or she often talks mainly to management, right? So this whole sort of voice from the floor, I, I mean, if you are a, if you are elected to represent the academic staff, for instance, right, your peers, then I think it's important to, to uh, in a way, find that voice and have that voice mm. on the board. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you all the time have to agree with the uh, whatever is said in those various places, right? But to voice those concerns, I think, has been important mm. to me. Oh, that's interesting, because one of your early projects that you worked on was Utopia, which was you know, really about the voice from the floor of people mm. in workplaces. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's an interesting... Yes, no, no, I'm sure there thread. is a kind yeah. of a, yeah. a clear line there yeah. in a way, yeah. So. You and I both share an upcoming transition at the end of next week, in fact, where we both shift into different sorts of roles and our formal professorship role ends. Does yours formally end? No, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. But I will reduce my time to like mm-hmm. 25% mm-hmm. of my time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I have no choice because we have mandatory um, that so-called retirement. Um, how did you decide now is a good time to just make that transition? Yes, I'm not sure it is a good time. <laughs> no, I think, I'm well, well I think this is sort of a thing when, you know, I remember thinking when I got the ASE grant that it would be a five-year thing and there were these things like you had to promise to do, like mm. I need to make sure that all the data is deleted a year after the project ends and so on. I, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, that's actually probably about the time when it's time mm-hmm. to retire. So, you know, for the last, I don't know, five, seven years, I've kind of been saying that, that there will probably be a time once this project is over and the final things have been managed where I will retire or in some form or other. Um, so I think there's that. I mean, I, I want to say I, I find it, I mean, I like working and so mm. on, but I think I'm buying myself flexibility and, and it has kind of become more and more a thing for me that most of my friends and so on have retired so they can go do things in the middle of the day. We, we used to, I mean, we had this joke, I have a group of old friends, women I studied with, and we called it the, the girl dinners, right? <laughs> and we always called it that. And now they, we're not girls anymore, but we are, it's obviously also not dinners because nowadays people are struggling to drive when it's dark and all sorts of things. So, 
now it's a lunch instead. So, uh, so anyway, so I think, you know, there's a lot of practical flexibility mm. that I'm hoping to get out of this mm. chance to spend more time with my grandchildren and so on. Not that I haven't done that, I actually have, but um, so I think things like that, but when it comes to this business of doing 25%, I'm really not sure if this is the right solution, honestly. Um, there's some things I want to continue doing for another while. Um, but I think it also remains to be seen, mm. like within the next two or three years, mm. how much I want to continue working or whether it makes sense at all. Or, uh, But right now I still have a little bit of this sort of group management that, that my head of department wants me to continue doing. We are in a transition period. We've hired a new professor who is going to step up and do some of those things. But I think it's also part of giving him a chance to yeah. find out exactly what he wants to do and how we, you know, how we will organize the whole HCI area in the department because we are also a little bit diversifying and so we've hired a quite a few and probably want to hire more people in sort of information visualization and more over towards computer graphics and so on. And you know, are they going to be part of the HCI group or is it going to be something else or is there a different way we, we can divide the groups? I think mm. is is something that we need to discuss and I'd be happy to, you know, play my part, right. part in that, but I'm not going to be the group leader like in 10 years from now, for sure. Mm. It's not the plan. Mm. So I think it's a bit sort of a, a practical thing. I mean, I've also thought that it's nice to continue doing a bit of writing and doing a few things. So I don't feel that, that you know, this is over and I'm not looking back on it's it. It's not a this. hard door closed. No, and, no, yeah. no. And, uh, but, but I've had this, it's interesting because I had a very busy June and we had some exams and so on, but I haven't been very busy since coming back from, from the summer holidays. And in a way, I think it's kind of a, I enjoy that. So, mm. so it's kind of a sign that this is in a way the right, right yeah. moment to, uh, yeah. to step down. And yeah. I mean, I like say, waking up here in Vienna and uh, not having to think that I need to answer like 30, 40 emails before like getting out of my hotel room and you know, things like that, I think. But it was obviously also a change, right? Yes, yeah, it is a change. Once you've been so, you've been used to being in a way so disciplined about a lot of things you do yeah. in your life just to make yeah. this whole process mm. happening in your everyday lives. I think it is, it is different, mm. right? But I am looking forward to sitting and, you know, reading more books or, or whatever. Which, Going to the girls' lunch. Yes, the girls' <laughs> lunch, exactly, the lunch, yes. Yeah. So that was interesting, just hearing the threads of community and family again in some yeah. of the things yeah. that you're looking forward to, the opportunities that it opens up. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know, Good on you for that sort of transition as well that because there's an identity shift isn't there like when yeah. we yes because it's such a demanding career role career yes. role in a way yeah. you know, especially as a professor or leading a group and that and there's uh, yeah there are interesting sort of identity transitions yes there. yeah I, d I definitely think you know I made the choice over the years to be there in the office quite much right so I'm normally mm. in the office mm. and I was actually saying to uh, to Clemens my colleague one day when we were just sitting and chatting over lunch in the summer when there weren't that many people around you know I think I also just have to get used to you know not feeling guilty when everybody is at work and yeah. I'm just home and it's not a work day mm -hmm. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. I don't know <laughs> so so I think there's there are a few things too to be worked on with yeah. that. Well, we can share experiences. Yes, we, it, can. You know, we that can. is It is that transition and just yeah. being curious about how it plays out. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. When you look back, coming to the end of September, what are you proud of? Like, what? How do you? How do you see your legacy? Yeah, that, that is a good question. And then yeah, I, I don't know. 
it's not something that for me takes up mm. a lot of headspace. I don't think a lot about it. I think it's also just like maybe my personality is the way I am. I had a long talk with it. I went to my 50s uh, school anniversary <laughs> the other day and, and, and you know there was this guy and he said you know I'm very much one sort of living in the moment and looking at the future and not having regrets and thoughts mm. about the past. Mm. And I think that's also very much true for me. I mm. don't, I take sort of the chances where they are when they're there and so on, but I've never had like a strategy or thought that right. I knew I would... This oh, grand what, career uh, path. Uh, so so I think ambition. in that sense, I'm also not yeah. very concerned about yeah. my <laughs> my yeah. own uh, my own legacy but but I think I mean it is interesting quite obviously it is interesting you know in a time when obviously there weren't that many women in computing and all of that sense all of that stuff that I kind of made it to be sort of an international recognized what have you uh, person in, in this community and I you know I'm not sure in a way how that happened and, and, and I'm also not terribly concerned about it but I think you know growing up it was not something that that you know I had any idea this was even a possibility mm. right so it's not like that at all but but obviously I'm proud of that mm. you know and and, uh, and I'm also I, I mean I quite honestly also very much appreciate the fact that in we do at Aarhus University of course we do have a much a wider HI group than just the people in computer science right and I do have in a way the mentor role for quite many people and uh, I've always also you know had this idea that we should do things together and share and so on and, and not sort of push too much towards these individual egos. And so I am in a way of quite proud that they think it's still useful to come and talk to me about all sorts of things, mm -hmm. right? It may sound a little bit banal, but I think, you know, I treasure it when they come and ask about these mm. things, right? And yeah. I also like that I have the time to talk to people and that, you know, my door is open and so on. So I think even even that as much as sort of the international claim yeah. to fame is actually yeah. something that matters. Lovely. I can just sort of see these themes and threads and really richly held values that just mm. flow through yeah. Yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, like you talked about, together and sharing just... Yeah, and, I, and I mean, I think part of why we have a strong HI group, I mean, generally at AU is because we've collaborated and always had these various kinds of activities together in various mm. forms. And then, of course, it has shifted over the years what we found most interesting yeah. and what has been most central and who, you know, people mm. have come and mm. gone and so on. But I think it's actually that there is something to kind of feeling at home in that wider group and, and we said so so for a while Kim Helsko and I had funding from AU to to do this thing so we had this participatory IT center and we we spent quite a, a bit of the money that the funding we had from the university for doing both internal and external seminars and I think a lot of people from that time really appreciated the fact that you could go most often it was just a one day thing with a, maybe a dinner at the end, but go share with the other people in your busy everyday life. Have mm. a day where you had a chance to talk about research mm. and your research, but also that of others and so on. And, and we try to continue that even though we haven't had funding for it for, I don't know, five years maybe. Uh, and, and I know they want to they they want to continue it right i've handed it over and kim has to to some younger colleagues right but but i think it's still sort of the whole idea that we do that we meet say once a year and we or twice a year but one of them often with some external visitors mm -hmm. and some talk 
that it's very much appreciated mm. and and, uh, and people show and, and they come and join even though they are busy people in their various forms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. I'm curious about the fact that you said last night when we were talking about being a single parent a lot of the time while you were working as well. Yeah. How did you make that work? How did I make that work? It's, I think it's, I don't know if I can, I mean, <laughs> yes, it's, it's a good question. I guess in a way you can say you don't have much of a choice, right? So you, you make it work. Um, I, I, I wonder at times what my son would would say about you know how <laughs> how he's been brought along to different things, uh, but I think well first of all I I will say I mean I actually thought about when I came back to the hotel, you know I've had role models right there were people like Joan Greenbaum who was a great colleague of mine who was sort of traveling the world with her two youngest sons for quite some years so I think without having it very deliberately as a sort of, I, I kind of think I saw that, you know, you, you, could, could, be. you could do it, mm. right? And in times, I also think that, how can you say it, but that I've been fortunate enough that I actually had the, uh, the financial situation that I could bring my son along to various things. Uh, so we traveled a lot when he was younger and he has a, he likes hotels. I wonder <laughs> whether it's something that came out of that or it's more like, you know, he likes hotels so it wasn't too bad for him to travel. Uh, we also, uh, where, where we lived basically uh, all the time, we had some very good neighbors so it's also been the case I think that when my son was younger, that then he didn't mind much whether I was actually there or not, as mm -hmm. long as he was sort of home. But home could mean like any of his friends in the neighborhood. So he'd been, you know, put to bed in many yeah. different houses <laughs> and uh, playing, having dinner with people, and so on. And I think it worked, right? But it, of course, also meant, for instance, that this business of uh, choosing to commute a couple of hundred kilometers every day to for a different job was not really uh, attractive and thinking about moving to mm. a new place would also be more of a thing right it mm. wouldn't just involve me and 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 i think so it involved a whole sort of social setup mm. uh, i mean we were also, in, in particular, in sort of the younger years before Jonas started school, he was also spending a lot of time with his father when I was traveling, so that was also fine, mm. since that involved some travel as well. He couldn't really do it when he started school, so we had to find other, mm. other ways of doing that. So I think that, you know, the whole support system, my parents were there in the early years. Um, that obviously helped a lot. I mean, yeah. But I had support also. I mean, my brother and his family. Yeah. We have children the same age, and that, that's also quite helpful at, at times. Yeah. But I don't know, but, but I sometimes think, you know, I can see how difficult it is for my... So my granddaughter, for instance, in a way maybe there's something here with COVID babies, right? She's not very used to being sort of handed over to other people. And I, I don't think I had many thoughts about that when, when Jonas was that age. And I, I'm not sure I want to think too much about why that was, but I think it was also a necessity for me, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. He needed to be able to go sleep, like with my parents or mm. with my brother. With it, I mean, it was not, it wasn't that, Sort necessity, of a question. <laughs> like necessity and the relationships that you had with those people from the sounds of it. If it had been totally impossible for him, it probably also wouldn't have happened, right? Yeah. And you don't know. It's difficult to say that, uh, that. I mean, he was a good, he was a good kid like that, that he, he also, yeah, he liked results. <laughs> he, he sort of uh, also took it very much. But I, I wonder at times, you know, mm. what he was really thinking about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'm just thinking we should probably just wrap up. Yeah. And um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would <laughs> like to bring up? No, we're we just probably a lot of things we haven't talked no, about. There are but, lots uh, of things yeah, yeah, we but, Nah, I think this is fine. If you've got more questions, you know, mm. feel free. I just do want to say thank you for being a pioneer because, you know, back in the 70s, 80s, that was really radical. Being a woman in computer science and in particular what you've done for the HCI community over the years and the work is just so influential. I know that we, we not putting too much store on metrics, but if we did look at your Google Scholar profile, the indications of impact on people's research mm. is huge mm. in the various um, publications and the concepts and commitments that you've brought to the field around participation and thinking about mediation and tools and uh, ecologies of artifacts and all sorts of different different concepts. So thank you for all mm -hmm. of that so work well. and for just being such a good colleague mm. and, and team member. Wishing you all the best in this transition <laughs> and exploring the next phase. Likewise. Yes. And we can share stories. Yes, we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. You can find the summary notes, a transcript and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can follow Change ACAD Life on Twitter. And I'm really hoping that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. And you can contribute to this by rating the podcast and also giving feedback. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues. Together, we can make change happen.